Good morning slash afternoon slash evening. Welcome to the Cowboys and Rice podcast, a perfectly passable Chad Africa podcast. I'm your host, Winslow Robertson, and I'm joined by our co-host, Lena Abdallah, a PhD student in international relations at the University of Florida. Our resident China sustainability specialist, Yi Wong, cannot join us today, unfortunately. Lena, how's everything coming along? Oh, everything is great. It's spring day here in uh, Gainesville, Florida, so happy about it. And you were recently at a conference, were you not? Exact. I was at the International Studies Association conference. It was held in Atlanta, um, and it was uh, 5,000, more than 5,600 participants. Wow. A huge conference, right? And a lot of uh, panels, actually, on a huge contingent on Chinese politics, but also a lot of stuff on China Africa, which I was really happy about. I like the way international relations thinks. Yep. Always put China Africa in your panels, people. All right. good. Today's episode is brought to you by our sponsor, African Development Jobs. African Development Jobs, a site run by Nina Arduro, seeks to connect development workers to professional development resources and work opportunities in Africa. On a, quest, on a quest to help diversify development, it highlights the voices and issues of Africans and diaspora in the field. It is also the best site for finding employment in the development field in Africa that I know of. This pod is an excuse to speak with Lily Guo, who we have been following for quite some time. There's a good chance that, if you are listening to this podcast, you have had the pleasure of reading Ms. Guo's brilliant reporting, whether on Chinese hackers in Kenya or Zimbabwean elephants headed for China. She's one of the few journalists in the world with a China-Africa beat. Ms. Guo covers East Africa and China and Africa from Nairobi for courts. She previously reported for courts from Hong Kong, and before that she covered general news for Reuters in New York and the Los Angeles Times in Beijing. She holds a dual master's degree in international affairs from the London School of Economics and Peking University, as well as degrees in English and Spanish from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. She won the 2014 SABEW Award for Best International Feature for a series on China's water crisis. And Lily, did I say that correctly, or is it SABU? Oh, I think yeah, I think we would just say Cebu. Cebu, all right. The 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 2014 Cebu Award. And Lily, welcome to the pod. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. How is everything with you? Uh, it's good. It's great. Nairobi uh, is really interesting, really dynamic, changing place. Uh, it's a really fun place to do the China Africa story from. Uh, recently, I went to Rwanda and Congo to do some reporting over there. I was in touch with Lena about some of those stories, but it's also it was also really interesting to see the Chinese communities there, which are much smaller. Um, but yeah, similarities, differences. Uh, well, differences. Well, I mean, I guess the uh, in Rwanda it was in Kigali. It's a, a sizable but smaller community, but. Um, I think it was also, they were just really open and really friendly. Not that they're not like that in Nairobi, but, you, you know, just as soon as you saw somebody, they would want you to have lunch with them and have you hang out all day and tell you all about their company and what they've been doing in Rwanda. Um, and I also felt like, at least in, in Kigali, more of them were individuals who had moved there and liked, liked the pace of life and are doing their small business, and they don't need to make a lot of money, but they're making some money and... They just like the life there. Um, and I, I guess I found fewer contractors and people. Um, I mean, there are also the big state companies building things. Mm. Um, yeah, and in Congo, it was also just a, a much smaller community. That's that's fascinating. And once again, 
should be proof that the Chinese in Africa are different and they're not all the same and they're not a monolith. So thank you so much yeah. for sharing that information. Um, I believe we managed to snag Yiting, so I'm adding her to the call right now. Please hold. Yiting! Yes, hi! You're alive! Hey! <laughs> yes, I'm not in a car accident. Um, I just finished my meeting. We have an all-day workshop. Oh. Well, we are in the middle of the podcast, so... Um, Lily, I just welcome Lily to the pod. And so, Lily, going back to the podcast at hand, could you introduce your organization and or and uh, and focus? Uh, oh gosh, darn it! I wrote this terribly. Could you introduce your organization um, and focus to our listeners? Um, yeah. So I work for Quartz. Quartz is a digital business news outlet. It's owned by The Atlantic. It was started in 2012. Um, the point of Quartz is to cover the global business, the global economy, um, and to cover it in a way that um, that makes sense right now. So really a focus on digital news, digital formats. Um, it's, it's designed and made to be read on your phone or on your tablet, and then secondarily on your computer. And then Quartz Africa was launched last year um, also, with the idea of covering this global economy, because we think Africa is really important to this uh, to this economy, and so it's also to provide this global view of the continent and how it fits into the bigger picture. But then also to write stories that that African readers want to read too. And our big focus here is on um, it's also on technology, business, and innovation, rather than um, the kinds of topics that you maybe traditionally see in media about Africa, which is a lot of focus on war and crisis and resources. Really? Uh, and so my, yeah, and so my focus here is uh, China and Africa, obviously, is, as we've said, and then also business and technology and um, examples of innovation, whether that's in business and technology or in politics or other, other things. What has been your favorite article to write? Well... <laughs> um, so I mean, the articles that take the most out of you aren't often the funnest to write or the most fun to write. But, I mean, a story that I enjoyed doing was one of the first that I did when I got here, um, which, once I probably asked you about it, it was about the, a group of Chinese who were who have been jailed in there for the past year. Um, I, I, I remember that, and I was hoping you'd say that. Um, and I, I don't think I actually helped you all that much, but I... Yeah, I think I remember talking to you about it, just getting your view on, um, you know, how, how, whether it was unique or, you know, just things to think about that people talk to. But I like, that was a good story to do because it made me think about, um, it, it just made me think about how the community, the Chinese community, how they fit in Nairobi and in Kenya. And um, it also, again, gave me a bit of an insight into the legal system. Um, and then some of the diplomatic issues between China and Kenya. And, yeah, I guess it was just a good kind of introductory, like a good first story to do. Um, and I recommend yeah. all our listeners to read that uh, article because it's one of, it's it's a delightful China-Africa article that just, does, it it's not a typical article that you'll see. It's very interesting and very, very well reported. And I want to congratulate you for writing it. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. And, and, you know, one of the things that I was 
one that like it also was good because it kind of gives you gave you other strings. Um, so so the story is about uh, a group of Chinese who would come here and um, they were in the house and then they were arrested after a fire took place and the police thought believe that they found um, equipment for telecommunications fraud. Um, anyway, so they've been in this long time. They've been in jail since then. But also just that one of the things that someone I spoke to said that there are cases where Chinese are brought over by other Chinese business people on earth that are working here, um, and they're kind of brought over under... Um, they they think they're coming to do one thing, and then they they come over and their passports are taken or something is something happens and then they're pretty much forced into other kinds of work that they didn't expect to do. Um, and I had it, haven't really, like, so that's another story that I want to do, but I haven't found all the evidence for it just yet. But The, the darker so, side of some of these China-Africa entrepreneurs. Right, because it happens the other way where, um, at least, I know a lot of people have done research on um, African women uh, being kind of trafficked in Guangzhou. Hmm. So... It could be happening the other way, too. Well, we look forward to seeing what you produce for such a, um, a tragic topic. Uh, and, well, I'm going to try and move on to a lighter question. Lily, what is it like working for an American media company covering the China-Africa relationship? Does your identity, which I hope you introduce, come into play when doing this sort of reporting? And how are you viewed by Chinese media outlets or even your Chinese interlocutors? Um, so my family is from Taiwan, and uh, I grew up in the U.S. and spent a couple years in, in China, Taiwan, and Hong Kong um, reporting. And, you know, whenever I'm in China, I feel, it may, I feel more American <laughs> because I feel, um, you know, I can see the differences and... Um, and just in, you know, mindset and perspective. So I'm not sure how, it, I guess the, the only way that I can think that it comes into play is that I do find that people generally are more open to me than I think they would be um, if I wasn't ethnically Chinese. Um, so that's one thing that makes things easier. I also find with Chinese media outlets, I think that they are, they probably are also a little, well, I don't know. I mean, I've met some Xinhua reporters and, they're always really helpful and um, and pretty open too. And I, I I don't know if they would be that way with any reporter. So I don't know um, if me being Chinese comes into that at all. But it doesn't seem to hurt. <laughs> it, and it is does does anybody find it strange that courts in particular is looking at the China Africa relationship? Um, well, I think people do wonder, they, they do wonder why, why, yeah, you're right, you know, people ask, so why does this, um, so I introduced courts, okay, it's, an, it's, an, it's a U.S. news publication, but we cover the global economy, we have reporters everywhere, um, and they do, but they do want to know, you know, why does America care about China and Africa? Um, and it's always interesting to start talking about that, because there are a lot of reasons why America cares about the China-Africa relationship, although I think that courts doesn't, Unlike other American, some um, unlike some other American publications, I don't think that we always try so hard to bring everything back to an American audience or ha relate to an American like American interests. Um, but yeah, I think people do people do wonder like you're not you're not um, you're not Chinese and you're not African, so why do you care? <laughs> uh, 
But there, is, is there like a, a big readership of Quartz? I, I, I would imagine there is, right, outside of the U.S. Like in, in, uh, in Kenya, do, do you know? Do, do people read? Yeah, well, mm -hmm. it's definitely getting more popular in Africa. Um, our big reader, I think our big countries in Africa are Kenya, Nigeria, South Africa, just, you know, the countries that you would mm -hmm. expect. Mm -hmm. um, but in general, a big part of the readership for courts globally is uh, readers outside of America. Um, but I mean, I think we care about China and Africa because in general we have, I think we have very good coverage of China. Um, and so to move to cover Africa, you do you do have to cover China also. Um, and you know, and it just sort of fit for me too because I was interested mm -hmm. in everything about Africa, but I also wanted to, um, but also fit with this interest of covering China from a different perspective also. So I always was curious as to how this works. Um, do you come up with the ideas yourself and then you go do the report or does somebody alert you to some topic and then you work on it or do you assign topics to other people or like how, what's the insider view on this process? It goes, yeah, it goes both ways. I mean, I come up with story ideas mostly from talking to people. Um, sometimes somebody, which I love when someone comes up to me and they say, you should write about this. This is really interesting. Um, and then I can look into that. Um, and I don't do a lot of assigning of stories to other people. I'll, sometimes I'll look at stories other people are working on and, you know, kind of give my thoughts on that. But, um, you know, I'm not much of an editor, so. Uh, Eating, would you like to follow up with any question about this? Um, no, uh, but I do have a different question. I, th I thought we'd talk like like at least like 20 minutes about this but fine I guess we covered all the bases then then let's the, go oh. no eating said she has a question did you no about something else so oh, eating okay. ask your other other topic question um, so I think Lily your broad portfolio of um, the African and China African stories that you reported um, maybe you can share with us um, one that is your favorite so far that you had found um, researching and re writing and reporting, maybe in a three-minute version of it? Um, so, I, yeah, we were talking about the, the jailed Chinese one, which is one that is probably my favorite. Another one that I like doing, it, and it wasn't, it wasn't a big project, it was just mainly um, an interview with these, with the photo, a photographer, and, um, and a writer who had gone around Africa taking photos of cities that were built um, by Chinese contractors and like really kind of looked like they're straight out of China. Um, and so I did this interview with them about their project and what they found and things that they were surprised about. And um, so that was actually a fun story. And, then, and that got a lot of response too because Africa, urbanization is such a big issue here. And a lot of people, when they think about urbanization and development, um, they look at China for an ex as an example, especially because these Chinese companies are the ones winning the bids or uh, being contracted for in whatever deal to build things here. Um, and so looking at whether or not that is, like what ways that can be risky, um, and then what ways that can be beneficial. So the headline we went with was uh, Chinese cities are starting to look eerily, sorry, African, African cities, cities. To look eerily like Chinese ones. Um, and actually I have a friend at Columbia who teaches at Columbia and said that she, um, that that article was on the reading syllabus for one of her classes um, that nice. she's doing. 
it's just really interesting um, that just the response to it. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, I think the article it was fine, and the project is, is really interesting. But just that it seemed to really hit on a note, hit on something that people. And so I remember getting into debates online where people were saying like, "Well, why do you why do you assume that it, this is a negative or scary thing that um, that Chinese company that China is having an influence over this?" Because you know these like. African cities, they need they need to be built. They need development. They need infrastructure, and Chinese companies can do that. So, is it you know is it this bias against um, co companies and countries that aren't Western doing this? Um, and then you know and but you know and you can come back with at that with all the problems that Chinese urbanization has mm -hmm. had. So anyway, it's just an interesting um, kind of discussion that came up from that story. So actually, that makes me think of a, an, another question of the: How do you navigate like these um, sensitive topics? Like when you're reporting, I mean, a lot of China Africa is contentious. Like a lot of the issues and topics are very contentious. And you think about environmental protection versus environmental degradation. You think about all of these issues that can be you can easily get heat from either camp, right? So. I'm wondering how how you how how you've encountered that, and just what are some of the practical ways you've uh, um, you've you've dealt dealt with this this kind of navigating these sensitive issues. Yeah, under um, under as a like in terms of reporting, it's um, in some ways it is easy if it's controversial because there's somebody that wants to talk about it. Hmm. Um, and that gives you material that way. Um, but I guess I think more about, yeah, so these are sensitive topics and, um, and so you do get, you do get kind of shut out, I think, um, at the government level about something. So, um, I mean, the Chinese embassy doesn't really want to talk about certain things like the story about the jail Chinese. I had, um, they, they didn't want to give any comment on record. And only after I published the story did they send me a comment, which is the comment that they made, um, you know, a year ago. Mm -hmm. And um, and so, but then also, but then I find that some of the local governments are really open to talking. And then also, actually, the um, uh, the Chinese embassy in Rwanda, I had asked them questions about because um, I was looking into Chinese investment in agriculture and asked them, you know, how do you feel about um, the you know criticisms that Chinese the Chinese are coming in and they're buying up mm -hmm. the land grabs mm -hmm. right and they just want to they just want to grow all this food and send it back to China and <laughs> and you know and, and to their credit they did respond to these questions and they were open to you know of course they said that's absurd and and in Rwanda there isn't there aren't these um, there aren't big there isn't big scale um, Chinese purchases of land um, so. So in that way, so I, I think it just depends. And I guess the other thing that I think about, that I try to think about, is these different narratives. So you have that narrative of China and Africa, neo-colonial and bad. And I think most, um, a lot of reports kind of just keep, you know, you kind of just stay in that that broad theme. But so I try to think about how to, I don't know, not change the narrative, but investigate different parts of that question. Because you are, we are, you are, we are sort of like looking fundamentally at how is this relationship, how does it affect the different people involved, and is it good? Is it how many, you know? Um, but you know, but I also get criticized too for swinging too much in one direction and being um, 
you know, so, yeah, just different things to think about. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, like, it's dependent on the topic, and, yeah, that's great. That's yeah. really good. Mm-hmm. But, so, is eating still on? I do not believe so. Okay. Um, I wanted to ask her about WWF. Oh, uh, we're, we're, we don't talk about... We don't talk about her day job on the pod. Okay, okay got it. So, uh, sensitivity stuff. Yeah. yeah. But you can but, always like, send off, her an email or something. Off, off the pod, off the mm-hmm. recording, you can ask her, whatever. Yeah. Off the, yeah. yeah. Just not... Yeah. Um, yeah. That, just, just write in that you want to... Here, I'll just write in that... Um, I do what about Chinese media outlets. I ran into um, a guy from the Chinese embassy at the grocery store the other day. Ah. I, I was, and I had spoken to him. I had met him before at the courthouse, um, and I had asked if he read my story on the jail Chinese, and he had read it. And I was at least glad because I'm, I'm always not really sure if the Chinese embassy ever reads any of these things that we write because mm-hmm. <laughs> courts kind of flies under the radar. So. It's really satisfying that they have noticed it. Uh, yeah, for sure, absolutely. Uh, and I, to, to their credit, um, the the chi- a lot of Chinese embassies operating in in Africa, are, are quite observant of how media outlets perceive them, and and they and they are staffed with good diplomats. Um, uh, a lot of the stuff I've heard about uh, about their their staffing has been quite positive. Yeah. Um, and, and I met a Chinese ambassador to an African country years ago, and, and they were they were quite pleasant. So I I do think in terms of everyday on the ground interactions, uh, there there's they're 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 quite positive, and and it's yeah the, the diplomatic missions are I think operate quite well, and it's a credit to uh, China's diplomatic corps. Um, then, uh, well, what advice would you give to a reporter who wants to follow in your footsteps covering China, Africa, or China's relationship with the rest of the world more broadly? Um, I guess the three. Well, I feel like it should be three things. It's always three things. <laughs> the first to um, to read. Uh, so you know, you want to be. You want to read the other reporting on the topic. But I would uh, do that and then also really consult because um, there's so many researchers and great academics that are researching uh, China and Africa and then also China and other regions. Um, so China and South America is another region I'm really interested in. Um, and so talking to those people who are doing that research because they're always a couple steps, in some ways a couple steps ahead of journalists in terms of what are the sort of um, budding uh, trends. I mean, I know that's. I mean, so some people, to some people, that will sound crazy because the journalists should be the ones who are on the the fronts and not the sort of ivory tower academics. But I think in the case of um, China and regions, I, I I don't I don't know. I just don't think that that's the case. I think that um, the academics are really identifying particular areas of focus that journalists should also look at too. Um, and then the other thing is to, but anyway, so the point of that is basically just like look beyond just the other media coverage. Um, and, uh, and then the other thing would be to, um, 
try to hang out with and spend time with the business communities. So on both sides, so on the Chinese side and the local side, um, that's really important. That's really important. And, and the third thing would be language. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, try to you know make sure you just speak the languages that are that are relevant. Mm-hmm. Yay! That that's <laughs> really good advice. And uh, I I love the I love the sound of that, and I hope um, more reporters. More reporters do what you say, um, and actually, I, I've, at least on the American media side, I'm I'm not particularly disappointed with a lot of China Africa coverage. Uh, I there 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 are some really strong articles out there, including from the Atlantic. Lily, um, mm-hmm. uh, there's this. Um, I've I've actually been interested in a long time in this um, in this topic of of sort of gender in China-Africa relations. I have myself not found the time to, to work on it, to research it, but I wonder if there's an angle there that you can think of as like in terms of an idea for things to do with, with say, I don't know, a gender dimension in the, in, the, in the economic relations, whether it be, I don't know, uh, Kenyan entrepreneurs, female entrepreneurs who, I don't know, go to China for um, um, wholesale or for other businesses or I wonder if you've encountered any of that in your work or if you are, I don't know, if you have plans for future reports on like maybe touching on this. Uh, I've always been really curious and interested in it, but I myself have not found the time to dedicate to this question. Yeah, that is really interesting. Was there um, a particular, like, like female entrepreneurs or is there something that kind of struck your interest? Uh, yeah, just to get an idea of what the relationship is doing and what, what's the effect, sort of what are some of the effects of the trade relations on particular, you know, uh, gender patterns. And so is, for instance, is, are there market opportunities that are open to female entrepreneurs that were not open before? Or is it the opposite? Or are there, I don't know, cases of job loss because of the China-Africa trade? Or what's what's the dynamic in general? I, I don't even, I, I, yeah, I wouldn't know where what exactly to expect. But I'm yeah. wondering if you've encountered any of these kind of, you know, um, stories in your reporting or in your just time being in Nairobi or... That's a really, yeah, that is really fascinating. I noticed in... Um, in Goma, in eastern Congo, the so there's all these all the all the all around the city you see these signs that say um, like we can do your visa to go to China and everybody wants to go to Guangzhou. People will go just on vacation or people will go um, on these sort of scouting missions to see what they can start to bring back to sell. Um, and a lot of the a lot of the people that are doing those trips are women. Um, and I I didn't dig into that particularly because. Um, I did, anyway, but that I do. I do wonder if that is something that wasn't open to. Um, wasn't yeah, that'd open. be cool to yeah to to investigate. And then I do find that it seems like most of a lot of the, I mean, at least in Nairobi, there are so many things, so many parts like industries and this um, sectors of business that are dominated by men. And I wonder, but then in China, it's not really like that in China. I mean, or at least for China. Entrepreneurs and traders and um, and migrants. It's uh, as much as much women as men, and also a lot of the Chinese that are coming over to Africa to work. A lot of them, more of them, are women. 
um, than other waves of Chinese moving to places. So I wonder how that is affecting the, like, whether that example affects the mm-hmm. women's communities. That's a really good point. I hadn't yeah. actually thought Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've, I've always been interested in these questions. It would be good to see if there's any research or any reporting done towards that. Yeah, I'll definitely look mm-hmm. into it. Mm-hmm. Well, now that we've given you your next assignment, Lily, uh, eating, Lena, do you have any further questions? Nope. Um, Lily, um, I have one more. Um, I'm wanted to ask, how do you find um, your uh, level of access to um, Chinese companies, if you've done any reporting around them, um, just in terms of their, you know, their openness to media these days, and, you know, we always have this, I feel like we heard this reputation of Chinese companies being not willing to engage that much, um, but I don't know if you have seen a shift in their um, attitudes. I think it has varied. In um, I found that um, I was I've been I was surprised by the openness of different Chinese companies. Um, I went to a, a textile factory in Kogali, and they were totally open. Just said, "Oh, come in and like look around, take photos," you know. Um, and a couple other companies in the special this uh, special economic zone that also were completely fine with me coming in and chatting. Um, the these sort of state-owned companies were a little bit, I, but I still don't think that they're as um, as. I mean, I still think that they are some not, a little bit closed off, but um, and I'm not sure if it is changing in Africa. I think if anything, it probably probably I would imagine that they want to speak less to people, um, and I found that the people that I approached to talk to about their business. They were open and pretty friendly with me, um, but once I started asking about, so I, I did talk to a um, like a mining comptoir and also in, in Goma, and you know they were totally fine with me coming in and hanging out and talking. Um, but once I did ask more about business and stuff, they don't really want to talk about that as much. Um, and they did say that they had turned down interviews for other media, um, so I don't know in that case if it's that they see a Chinese face and they think. You know, we're just chatting and we're just friends, um, and this is maybe they feel like um, I don't know, maybe a little bit more comfortable. But so I guess I think it just depends. Wow, mm-hmm. really, really a, a excellent question with a with a really thoughtful answer. Uh, with a really thoughtful answer. Eating, do you have headphones? I do. Is that better? My voice was scattered. I, I'll put I, it on I, yeah, I think the headphones might work a little bit better. Sorry about that. Ha ha ha! Technical difficulties. But you know, I haven't tried as much with the. There are a couple companies in in Nairobi that I've been um, that I want to talk to, and I, yeah, and I'm interested to find out how open they are. Because um, in these, at least in these other communities, I felt like people were really open. But I think that it's because it's a smaller Chinese community, so they're kind of just like, oh, cool, Chinese person, let's chat. But everybody's not really like that, so I don't know, you know. And there are a lot of people that I mean, these these companies have more experience with media, so they might be more hesitant. Um, so I imagine <laughs> that they won't be quite so open. But who knows? I mean, like, Ibik is doing some pretty cool stuff um, in their, in Kenya in terms of 
training locals in technology and, you know, and also, I mean, I think these companies, they actually are doing, um, I guess, CSR type things that help their reputation in Africa and, you know, and I don't, I don't really know why they don't, why they don't want to talk about it. <laughs> It's not that they don't want to talk about it, it's that they don't want to talk about it with you. They, yes. they, 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 they want to talk about it with Xinhua. Um, yeah, happy to talk about it with CCTV. Or, C, or C, man, CCTV with a reporting crew, oh, they are, they are on site, no problems. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's subject of, an, of another discussion, and, and, and China's, Chinese inability to do public relations with foreigners is it's still an ongoing problem. Right. Yeah. We got to move on to recommendations because I believe Lena has to leave soon. So, Lily, please start us off with what do you recommend for our listeners? Um, so I read this pretty cool piece in the Mail and Guardian. It's by an ethnographer that went to that came to Nairobi. Um, he stayed with the China House, the NGO here, and he just sort of wrote about the Chinese community in Nairobi from this ethnographer's perspective. Um, and just sort of detailing the diversity of it and um, you know, just what people are doing. And it's a good piece. It's a good piece just to like get a picture. Um, and like you were saying about that, how to show that the Chinese in Africa aren't monolithic. This is a great, really great example of that. Hmm. Um, and it's also about the um, kind of mutual suspicion between Chinese media or Chinese and African media or African media towards the Chinese community too. Anyway, so it's called um, Moving to Africa for Fresh Air, Intriguing Insider Insights into Nairobi's Chinese Community and What the Future oh, Holds. Yeah. I love that article. Uh-huh. Yeah, and, it's such a great one. Mm-hmm. Um, and for our listeners' knowledge, China House is a client of mine, so not completely neutral in this. But yes, it's a, 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 great, a great article, and yeah, just remember, not all Chinese are the same. The end. Um, <laughs> All right, fantastic. Eating, do you have any recommendations? Uh, yes. Um, this is a pretty old, well, not so new book, but I don't know if you ever uh, talked about this on the pod. It's um, called China Super Bank. Oh, yeah. Um, by the guys at um, um, you know, the New York Times, um, Henry, Henry Sanderson and um, Michael Forsyth. I just thought it was, a really, mm. it was one of my... Um, opening books, of, you know, into um, the role of China Development Bank and how uh, it, it really permeates into every aspect of Chinese overseas investment and domestic, um, you know, how it's on domestic lending models uh, as a development finance uh, institution has helped generate China's um, urban boom and how that it's re- sort of in some ways replicating this model um, in its overseas development. So, if you have talked about it, all the better because it's a really wonderful book. I couldn't agree with you more. It's um, a brilliant book, a very necessary book, and I'm totally going to try and get the authors on the pod one time. That's mm. um, it's it's in the works. Um, Lena, do we have to go? Uh, do you have time for recommendation? I actually was a little bit out of the loop because of the conference, so I apologize to our listeners for not having 
thought through this recommendation for this time, but I'll be back with uh, cool stuff next time, I promise. Fantastic. I have a very brief You recommend. have much better excuse than when I didn't have any recommendations. D just, you just make <laughs> You're up... You're being generous with me. Just make up a conference <laughs> in Beijing. Just make up. Like, we'll believe you. I know. I Not feel like I need to make up a better <laughs> excuses. Not that I'm making up this conference, but yeah. hey. No, you <laughs> I, I, I want to rephrase how I, I how I said that. Okay, uh, my recommendation is really quickly. There's a hashtag on Twitter called "Mansplaining China," which um, um, yeah. Oh wow! So you're all familiar oh, with yeah. it. Uh -huh. uh, okay, so to make a long story short, there's a problem in terms of China scholarship and scholarship more broadly in terms of if we have a conference and we have um, a panel of speakers, we tend to have a panel of speakers who are white men. And there's nothing wrong with being a white man, but um, there's a lot of really uh, smart women who do China stuff, and there's a lot of people who aren't white who do China stuff, and they should be on panels too. And Winslow, can I piggyback on this really quickly for the Women Also Know Stuff website? I don't know if you were going to talk about it, but it's actually a really good resource for that. I was so, not going to talk about it, but... Okay. Um, Women also know stuff website. Yep. Yes. yes. Mm -hmm. uh, so essentially, um, it, it's a it's a, it's an important hashtag. There's there's some back and forth, and it's a very healthy discussion, and um, and, and everyone involved with it, uh, I I really appreciate. Sometimes the conversation steers in ways I don't particularly like, but in the end <laughs> of the day, I do think it's important for uh, academics or for people who put on conferences. To have diverse panels, and that's one of the reasons that I like my I like this podcast to reflect the diversity of the China Africa uh, scholar of China Africa scholarship, which is made up of mostly brilliant women with a few mediocre men. Oh come on! <laughs> oh, you're being very generous. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a really good point, Winslow, to have brought it up. Thanks a lot. Not a problem. Okay, uh, that's it. Before we sign off, how do people find you on the internet, Lily? Do you have a website or a Twitter account that you would like to share with us? Yeah, so my Twitter um, Twitter handle is at lilquo, L-I-L-K-U-O. Um, and anybody should feel free to email me at L-I-L-Y at QZ.com, lily at QZ.com. I have a question. Why is it Lil Quo? Is it because, like, you're little? Like, is that, like, a play on words? Um... It's just Lily without the Y. Okay, um, it's not like an old nickname or something. I've always used it, but I guess, I mean, there are three clothes, and I am the youngest, so <laughs> I am the little clothes. Yeah. <laughs> it kind of sounds like a rapper name, and I thought that was cool. Yep. Like, uh, little kid. Yes, I, that's, yes, that was that's why. That's why you asked. <laughs> that's probably the main reason, yeah. <laughs> cool. Okay, uh, eating, what about yourself? Hello? Hi, I can be found on Twitter at um, uh, Dao of the Pool, um, D-A-O-O-T-O-F-T-H-E-P-O-O-H. Oh my god, I'm always having problems um, spelling my handle. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. <laughs> and and uh, a phenomenal Twitter account. And were you, were you in Lagos by any chance for the Yale conference? 
I am not, even though I, my name is still on it. Okay, like, I, somebody, somebody said, oh, and up next is Eating, and so I'm like, oh, congratulations, Dao the Pooh on Twitter, and, but I didn't know if you were there, I didn't think you were going, so. No, it's really frustrating, I emailed them many times now that, you know, make sure I'm not on your program anymore, because <laughs> um, people didn't think that I am a, you know, I'm a quitter. <laughs> Nobody thinks that. Nobody listens to this pod thinks that. <laughs> Lena, how will people find you on the internet? Yeah, I'm also on Twitter. Um, my handle is L Ben Abdallah. That's L B E N A B D A L L A H. Um, I also tweet China stuff, China Africa stuff, and and beyond. And a f- phenomenal tweeting of the conference. Congratulations is is quite fascinating, Lena. Um, and I myself can be found on cowriesrice.blogspot.com and www.cowriesrice.com, the letter site housing my fledgling China African consultancy. In addition, my Twitter handle is at Winslow underscore R. And I have been uh, pretty mediocre in my tweeting over the past few weeks. I've um, just been busy with a lot of stuff. So a lot of um, light retweets. But it's a good China Africa account and uh, some good Africa and some good China information as well. Um, that is about it for today's episode. We would like to thank Lily for joining us from sunny Nairobi or hot Nairobi or sunny and hot Nairobi. Okay. From sunny and hot Nairobi as well as African development jobs. This podcast can be found on SoundCloud, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Double Twist, Buzzsprout, and iTunes. We're also teaming out with WTND Community Radio from Macomb, Illinois to share our podcast. We would also like to thank Mighty Michael Pulse Recordings for composing the theme song. And thank you, dear listener, for giving us your time. Take care.